Welcome to another episode of Blue Coats Brass Podcast. This week we're going to be discussing some different memories from DCI Finals Week over the past few years. And joining me this week is Derek Gibson and Josh Gall. So before we begin reminiscing about the past, we recently just finished up the voting for the final round of our Best Blue Coats Ballad Contest, and we ended up with 4,856 votes being cast. So thank you to everyone that voted in there. Ended up being fairly close for a lot of the contests, especially early on. The leader was changing back and forth between 2014 and 2016. However, at the end of all the voting, we finally have a winner. So drum roll, please. Two thousand fourteen's the hymn of Axiom ended up winning. They had two thousand seven hundred and twenty-three votes, and twenty sixteen's Great Gig in the Sky ended up with two thousand one hundred and thirty-three. So again, thank you to everyone that voted in any of the rounds. We had over ten thousand votes total. So once we're finally able to return to the field, the hymn of Axiom will be one of our encore tunes. So we're looking forward to playing the fans' favorite. So, Josh and Derek, do either of you have any any thoughts on Hymn of Axiom since both of you were teaching at that time? Well, um, as far as it winning, it's I expected it. We all called it on the <laughs> um, on the thing uh, a few months ago with uh, Doug and Dave and you, and uh, I expected it a little, maybe a little disappointed, only because we've done it as an encore recently because it is a great ballad. And um, uh, it's also kind of hard. <laughs> it's hard. It's long. It's like the longest ballad ever. This thing's like three minutes, um, and which is a testament to how well it was constructed because it doesn't feel long in the show. It's also you know, the other positive of it is it does stand alone without percussion well, so it works. Uh, for encores also pretty well. Uh, 2016 would have been hard to stand alone without the drum set, without the battery, without the big Hammond B3 organ patch. All of those things really made 2016, and not to mention the trombones. I mean, hopefully whenever we are back out, we have trombones, because without trombones, 16 is kind of weird. So, yeah, cool, yeah. You know, we'll have fun with it. It is a great piece of music. I'm just like, yeah, we've done it already, but it's, it's all good. Yeah, maybe, maybe we'll tweak it up just a little bit. We'll see. We'll bring it what up a half step. We'll, we'll add <laughs> add some trombones to it. Yeah, we'll add some. <laughs> that would be epic, yeah, yeah. actually. That awesome. up a half step. Yes, that's what we're talking about. <laughs> what do you think, Josh? Yeah, I mean, I actually I remember, of course, the you know, hearing it, hearing it in the winter, and of course, like you know, being really intrigued by it and, be, and learning a little bit about Vienna Tang's music, um, which was, of course, like this a whole new world of sound, which was really really cool. Um, and then I remember seeing one of the early early rehearsals, like probably spring training time, when they were staging slash sort of learning the drill, and you know, we started. <laughs> yeah, the the entire horn line is, you know, going from corner to corner, you know, and it's like, okay, well, this should be easy, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, like because I mean, you know, there's no stacking of instruments really in that in that construction visually, and so I was like, okay, well, every bell 
is going to be able to be sampled. And, you know, I just remember saying to the, to the performers early on, like, look, if I'm a brass judge, this is like, this is easy. I can walk up and down the field all day long and just, you know, I could hear individual after individual. So I'm mean, a testament to the, the performers for, for doing what they did, because that thing was as, as exposed as you could get. And, um, you know, and it was cool. I mean, it was also like, I think really as the design team was like hitting a stride too, you know, with that whole show, of course. Um, so visually, musically, I mean, I think it was really sort of, I can see why I think people would vote on that. Um, of course, great gig is incredible. Um, and it's a little fresher for us, but um, it was, it was cool to see that thing put together. And of course, as we, as we worked on it throughout the summer, it's like, man, it's just no room for, no room for error in that thing. And like Derek yeah. said, it's even, it's hard in an arc, you know, let alone spread a hundred yards. Yeah. Awesome. So let's get into this week's topic about some finals week memories over the years. And we're currently recording this on Sunday, August 9th, which is the day after when 2020 finals would have been. And so currently we probably would all be at the blue coats banquet saying our goodbyes and celebrating everything we accomplished, but alas, we're not. So we're going to talk about some of different finals memories from us over the years. And we'll talk first as a performer, and then we'll talk a little bit later about uh, some different memories as a staff member. So Derek, you marched for a while. Do you have any particular memories that stand out to you from finals week in the past for you? Yeah, look, I have a couple stories and most of them are pretty self-incriminating. So, uh, (laughs) you know, we'll see how it goes. It's not, not a whole lot of educational value perhaps, but, um, the first one I thought about uh, was from 1990. I was in a core called the Expressions out of Hammond, Louisiana. Uh, shout out to the, uh, I think it's called the Greater New Orleans Drum Corps Association. Maybe Greater uh, Louisiana, I don't know, it doesn't matter. The bunch of, uh, bunch of uh, 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 Louisiana drum corps out there uh, that have, been around uh blue raiders were one of them they made finals in 1972 there's a group called uh the stardusters from new orleans that uh, uh i confuse with the star riders from germany i call the group over here the stardusters all the time and they make fun of me anyway the last kind of descendant of those drum corps around new orleans was a, a group called expressions that's where i started the first year I marched was 89. We had like 18 horns. Uh, I was one of two mellophones. I turned 13 over the summer. I'd get ditched at Niagara Falls because nobody wanted to hang out with the young kid. Um, <laughs> you know, and... Uh, That's actually because you're a mellophone, not because not you're young. Yeah. Well, the other mellophone was like really cool and hung out with lots of friends. But no, you know... So 1990, my second year, I went to Soprano, and the, the horn line was double. It was like 30-something, and we had like 70 in the drum corps, and we were moved up to A class. But I was still young and dumb, right? Uh, and, and a lot of you guys, all you guys, both you guys march with me, so you know how I can be rather forgetful. And so the other thing about if, if you march, so nowadays they call it uh, open class. It went A and A60, Division two, Division three, and now it's open class. But, you know, the kids that march that, uh, they're done after their open class finals, which last year was in at Indiana Wesleyan. And those next couple of days are kind of fun. You just become a fan. You wake up at noon and dork around and get on the bus and go watch the 
the world class. It's it's awesome. And uh, you know, I remember really enjoying finals week not having to do much and just watching drum corps for free with my little expressions badge, you know, whatever. And um so after I think it was quarterfinals in nineteen ninety, we were on a, a coach, it wasn't expressions own bus, and I sat in the back and I was super tired. And long story short, I woke up and it was daytime and I was like at the parking lot at the Best Western, which was long, which was not where we stayed as a drum corps. We were nowhere near the housing site. Basically, I just slept. No one got me off the bus. (laughs) I woke up, the sun's coming up or whatever. And, you know, I'm 14, you know, barely. And um, by myself, it's probably like eight in the morning. The bus is locked. I can't get out. I'm like, how do I? (laughs) I'm hungry. You know, I mean, what do I do? And I, you know, I see emergency exit. I'm like, I think for about 10, 15 minutes, should I actually, is there going to be an alarm go off? I don't know. You know, so I finally just pop the emergency exit, hop out, you know, reach my pocket to have like maybe 80, 90 cents or something. I'm starving. I go to McDonald's and pull out my dimes. You know, and here's like a, a 14 year old by himself. The poor people at the Mickey D's, they gave me like a whole full tray of French fries because they felt sorry for me. And uh, <laughs> I go back. I have no idea what I'm going to do. I'm just sitting there eating my fries, you know. And um, I see like the maids that are cleaning and I, I start talking to them or one of them saw me and said something and they thought I was the bus driver. And they actually walked in on the bus driver by accident because they thought, oh, She's the, our coach driver. She's on the bus. And they walked in on her because <laughs> they saw me. Anyway, long story short, I did. She was very nice to go ahead and get up and drive me back to the housing site. I'll probably get back to the housing site. First of all, I went back to McDonald's because I was still hungry. So I'll go back in there with an adult. <laughs> you know, plate. And uh, when they, I remember when they, when she dropped me off, there was like a, one of the visual staff guys and he was wondering, why is the bus back? You know, it's 10 in the morning. And I, and then I get off the bus. He, he just looks at me and starts laughing and no one said anything. <laughs> like they didn't, they didn't miss me. No one was looking for me. No one was waiting. Have you seen Derek? No, nope, no, nope, nothing. They um, closed your hole already. They're like, right, we're <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I mean. We're done. We didn't do nothing. Just a class. <laughs> we didn't have the rehearse. Wow. So, uh, yeah, that's that was 1990. Um, Southwind, I did a couple of years. So had nothing, no stories really stuck out finals week. And then I guess with cadets, what was kind of cool was, so 94, we came in second. 95, we came in second. Uh, and we thought we all we had to do is beat the Blue Devils, and Cavaliers really kind of came out of nowhere to win it. We beat the Blue Devils and still came in second. We, we just went from behind Blue <laughs> Devils to behind somebody else. Uh <laughs> And then uh, in 96, we had a shot, and then two groups tied before us, so we came in third. I, I skipped 97, so we came in, but the core came in second again. And then 98 was pretty special. And we, you know, uh, Bob, you were there. You know, it's like we, we knew from the very beginning that we had something good. And the only other time I felt that way was, ironically, 2016 Blue Coats. We was like, this is this is really good. And it's really, really hard to win. It's just hard to win DCI. And you have to have everything in place. And you, you feel it when you have everything in place. 
So it was nice after all those second and third places to to win. That was cool, especially at my my age out. And it was a, it was a really good, very well performing group, especially visually. When I watched that that year, any one you know the finals or anything around it, it's like we really marched well. Feet were in time. Yeah, yeah. that's my story. Yeah, we were. Yeah, Derek. Derek and I were both on. Um... The cadets ha- have been having a bunch of a reunion Zoom meetings and stuff like that. We were both on the one for 98 just the other day. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit about that week because it was basically between us and Blue Devils most of the season. And, and Blue Devils had us by two-tenths a number of times. And, fine, and then there were a couple times we'd pull ahead and just go back and forth. And then it was like the night before um, DCI East and Allentown was our home show at, at the Meadowlands and Blue Devils shockingly beat us by two tenths because it had happened. I don't know how many times it happened that summer. And then the next night was DCI East and we pulled ahead by like nine tenths. And I, I want to say a couple days later, they beat us again on Monday or something like that. And then in, um, in prelims, it was quarterfinals at the time, how, you know, we, maybe we're a little too arrogant and and Mark Sylvester was talking a lot about this as well, that, you know, just a a little too arrogant or confident. And it was just kind of a loose day for us. And then all of a sudden we ended up in third behind Vanguard who hadn't beaten us at all that year. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think we were necessarily freaked out because we just knew, and, and we were joking on the reunion the other night is you know, when we take the the core photo after prelims each year, you can just see that everybody just looks pissed off because like we knew that we were better than that. And so, you know, the next couple of days, we just kind of got back to business and then eventually just took care of business. And, and it was a, it was a fun night for sure. Because like you said, we just, we just kind of knew early on that we had something special and then it, it finally played off. And, and much like you talking about after all those seconds, you know, I marched 96, 7, 8, and so 96, we had the second highest score, but because of the tie, we came in third. So I got a, I got a bronze that year, and then 97, I marched, and then we came in second and got a silver. And so it was nice to to finish off my three years to get, you know, one of each color. And it was a fun night, and um, there are some other stories that, that kind of led up to that night that are probably better left unshared to the masses. But but yeah, it was it was a good night. Not that it's about winning or anything like that, but after always being close, it was nice for it to, to finally uh, happen. But then you also realize after it happens, it's like, all right, well, that's cool. Well, all right. Life doesn't really change a whole lot and let's get back to work. So, you know, what's, what's, you know, I, I think people forget about um, the rise of Santa Clara Vanguard during those years too, because right. Santa Clara was not good, like 93, 94, 95. Yeah. And our boy, Dean Westman, who's now the, our program coordinator, he was a part of that rise uh, that yeah. really began to make waves in 97, 98, and then one in 99. So I don't know, yeah. just kind of plugging Dean a bit because he was a big part of that. But it, even in 98, it was like, oh, we've got to beat the Blue Devils. It was like, Vanguard, where did they come from? And they ended yeah. up staying ahead of the Blue Devils and came in second that year. Yeah. What about you, Josh? You got any good stories as a marcher? Yeah, I mean, you know, I was, when you invited me, you know, I was sort of going through and just trying to think about, you know, like sort of stories that are maybe unique to 
to my experience, you know, um, and Derek, I, you'll actually probably remember this in 03. Um, but you know, we were, we're getting ready for finals and finals in 03 were in Orlando and, um, it, I mean, it had been just pouring down rain, just like it always is in Orlando, which I still wonder, like, why yeah. would you have finals there? <laughs> you know? well, all, all, yeah, all three of the years I marched were in Orlando. So, yeah. Right, right. So, you know, 03, um, I, I remember, like, it, just things were so bad. The schedule was, was so, so thrown off because of, uh, because of uh, you know, because of the weather. And um, I remember... I, I, I guess it was finals day, we could only like sort of go outside for just a short little bit of time. And so we did like a, just a visual run through, you know, I was like, Oh, yeah, just do an Aaron valve. And like, you know, and that core was pretty conditioned. I mean, that was, that was a pretty high performing core. And I remember at the end of that visual run through, like, you know, heat, like leaning over as if it was like spring training doing the first run through, just being completely beat. Um, Cause we was, you know, it was legit Aaron valve. And it was, I just remember that being a struggle, but then that evening, the rain persisted and we actually didn't go on until super late that night. And um, I remember our bus is sort of parking right outside of the stadium and we sort of, you know, got dressed in our you know, halves, just sort of like normal, you know, and it started pouring down rain. So we had to go back onto the buses and we, you know, there was the show would get pushed back 20 or 30 minutes because of rain and lightning. And then we, you know, would have a little break in the action and we'd go back outside and try to like even arc it up. And even before we could arc it up, it's like, I right, get back on the buses, you know, and we were on and off the buses so many times that even, I don't know how many times, but it eventually got to the point where we, we didn't want the uniforms to get soaking wet. So we ended up warming up in our street clothes. And so I was wearing like long white cadet socks of course, with like the white spandex underneath and like khaki shorts, flip flops, you know, and we, we could only like go outside for like a seven minute visual warm up and then get back on the bus and wait for a little while. And there, we just got to the point where it's like, we're not going to be able to do a full warm up. So we just kind of like do a little bit, get back on the buses. And there was an extended period of time where we, we were on the buses for a while and we were like, well, look, we, we should have performed like 20 minutes ago. And somebody had the idea of like, well, let's order some pizzas. And, uh, <laughs> And so, you know, and, and this was like, you know, show got pushed back 45 minutes or whatever. And so it's like, cool. Like we got time, like we can make some pizza happen. And, uh, <laughs> and the, the pizza delivery driver was cut off by George Hopkins. Um, and he did not let those pizzas come on the bus. <laughs> so, um, anyways, we were upset for a couple of reasons, but the main reason is that we, <laughs> the pizza that we had ordered and <laughs> paid for over the phone, George now had, and I think he maybe even like, maybe he and April or somebody was like, eating. maybe Derek was, eating. I don't know. <laughs> I, I didn't have any pizza. Wait, Josh, wasn't that quarterfinals? Was it? I, I don't remember what night it was. I do, I do know that we went on late got finals. Back, like we went on it after midnight. Right. Okay. Yeah. So quarterfinals. And I remember the, 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 the hype, there was a hype about that because you know, we, I'm sure you remember this. We got four pointed by the Cavaliers um, mid season. And we ended up 0.15 behind them or two tenths behind them. Somewhat, something like that. Like we, we did a, and it was like, our goal was, was to somehow close this four point gap and come in second. That was for whatever reason, it was like, and um, we almost did it. I remember Dean Westman telling us everybody else, wants to not do this show 
except you guys because we were just like inching up there and we were yeah i mean i was i was on staff and i was getting pumped you know (laughs) yeah well i mean that i think that we uh, you know we had this realization that that the magic of that show was going to be a little bit playing into the the novelty of some of the tunes that we were playing with us playing Malaguena and Rocky Point, Fanfare and Allegro. But it really was just, it became about execution because that was going to be the thing that gave us any chance. And so that's what we just became super focused on. Uh, and that was a great performing drum corps. I mean, the horn line was great. We marched really well. The drum line was on fire. The color guard was incredible. So, um, but yeah, I just, I remember like this rainstorm being the thing that sort of kept getting in our way, you know, and I just, and I'll never forget doing a visual warm up in khaki shorts, um, you know, and, <laughs> like, all right, across the floor. So get back on the bus, you know? <laughs> so that was, that was from Oh three. Um, and then one other thing, just uh, actually in Oh two, I remember warming up, you know, finals were in Wisconsin and which is of course a beautiful place to, you know, weather wise to have, to have championships. Um, and, uh, we were warmed up in this, this really tight little parking lot right up against this brick building. And the O2 horn line was, was a different kind of loud. I mean, that was just, um, you know, Derek was on staff, so he could, I'm sure he could tell lots of stories about lots of different things, but, you know, we just, we just knew how to play loud. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, I remember warming up and my parents, you know, coming to, to watch it and, you know, both my parents who are incredible people, like, um, you know, my mom is a, she's an outwardly emotional person. So she's one of the, one of the kind of people who will gasp, you know, like, Oh, this is great. You know? And, um, you know, we, we started getting into whatever chord progression it was. And she's like, you know, I, she's like sort of tearing up and crying out loud. And, you know, people are like looking over at her and I'm like, mom, come on. Like, this is like, people are supposed to be watching us, but you know, we played this thing and then we two up and we start leaving. And like, all that she wants to do is get a picture of me walking you know, and it's like, look, mom, I, I, <laughs> I got to look straight ahead. Like I can't, you know, you know, and she just, she was insistent. So she's like jumping in front of the horn line as we're walking. It's like, come on, mom. Yeah. So she learned, she learned, but of course she's an incredible advocate. Uh, but that was, that was an early on memory. It's like, mom, come on. Like I got one job right now. Like it's, it's to look straight forward. <laughs> like, you know, just let me do that. Yeah. So, but I was never left on the bus though. Um, so. <laughs> I can't believe I slept that soundly. I mean, the sun was like up, you know. Oh well. One of one of the things that's that's different now that that we used to do back in the past, and I don't know. Remember, I guess maybe it stopped one in '98, but uh, having to do that parade on Wednesday, you know, and we would we would always do that parade in Epcot for the years I'm in '96, '78. Yeah, I, I remember doing all those. Yeah, and then you know you get like a little bit of time in Epcot, and you're like like playing in Epcot you know, the day before quarterfinals. And it's like, this seems weird, but we, I remember we always just got our butts kicked Monday, Tuesday, like Monday, Tuesday in like some of those old school cadets days is just like absolutely kick your butt during those days. So we kind of sort of needed Wednesday to recover a little bit to be ready to, to let it go Thursday, Friday, Saturday. I was going to say, what's funny is that these days, like we're pretty mindful at least in the blue coats about, and I know some other drum corps, like they don't ever practice or they try to always practice on turf. Right. But, and then blue coats, we don't quite go that extreme, but we're in finals week and we have, and we can go to the indoor facility. We can get the stadium. If the coach is cool, 
or we can rehearse on this field. And we try to really avoid rehearsing on the field because it's a different sensation and they get overly tired and all this stuff. And, um, but, you know, it really is not, I mean, I guess it's long ago now. Maybe was it 2003? What is that? 17 years ago, it was like full, full out air and valve reps on a terrible grass field in the middle of Florida in the middle of the day. Let's do it, you know? you think about it is as you get better your standard is so high it takes more energy to maintain that standard so some people always wonder like yeah. why am i so tired and it's finals week well it's because you're you're trying to hit this really impossible high standard yeah and we didn't really have uh at least when, when you and i marched Derek, we didn't have props we're pushing all over the field well I guess except for '96 and those. What are you on about, were... dude? Uh, listen, I used to. That <laughs> prop was hard to push. Ooh, oh my! I remember uh, those things were just. You, yeah, and I wasn't even on prop crew. People talk. Some of these old timers that complain about the props these days. 1985 Santa Clara was full of props. It's '85. I still I don't understand some of these anti-prop folks because the props been around for ages. <laughs> Anyway, it's late over yeah. here in England. I'm a bit grumpy. It's really hot, so I'm just going to say whatever. <laughs> it's 90 degrees. Awesome. It's been 90 degrees yeah. here in England, which I know it doesn't sound hot to a lot of the people listening in Texas, but we don't have AC here, so it's hot. Derek, I don't know if you were – I don't know if this was finals week. Probably not, but I remember recently on this uh, drill design call that like Jeff Saktik was on, John Bilby, Leon May, a couple of other guys, they were talking about some shows in 96 where you guys didn't have the the panels and like, you just didn't know what to do behind this thing. So you just be like sort of wandering around the field. I imagine that that wasn't on finals. Exactly. It was maybe once or twice. I remember it was also very early. They put in some slits in there. You can see them on, on the DVD. They put some, because I mean, they were like sail, like putting sailboats on the field. You know, <laughs> if the wind got over 15 miles an hour, those things were toppling over, you know, with the yeah. horns on and everything else. It was terrible. It was crazy. Back then, we also had a lot of shows on grass. And so sometimes oh, yeah. it would be muddy and stuff like that. I, I don't remember where it was. It wasn't finals. I week, but it was like Minnesota slipped. somewhere. Yeah, just like slipping in the mud behind those things, and like people come out with like brown knees on our on our pants. And... Well, I at that show, and I was like the fourth or fifth show of the season. It was very early, and at that show, you know, we we have these little poles to pull them where you can't be seen pushing them, and we had like twelve counts to go a yard line or two, and it, and you had to get the the wheels lined up right, and the wheels weren't lined up. And uh, we we give it a good yank, and it's not moving. It's not moving at all. It's like we need a we need a we need an F four fifty whatever truck to move this thing, <laughs> and it's not moving. And we in the in the you know time's ticking, and we were on count five, and we're supposed to be over yard line. <laughs> I was on the end, and I literally got on the side in front of everybody, and just like pushed it like like peeling out with my feet. I got mud all over the back of my <laughs> uniform. I could have waved at the audience while trying to push it. We got it there, kind of. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, on that note, let's, let's uh, take a quick break and we'll hear from some of our sponsors. Hey, 
Hammond Design is the exclusive mouthpiece manufacturer for the Blue Coats. Carl Hammond is recognized by players all over the world for his commitment to excellence through superior craftsmanship and professionalism. That's why Blue Coats trust Hammond and why we feel you should get the experience of sound in HD. Visit carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, hammonddesign.com. This podcast is funded in part by the sustaining members of The Shield. The Shield is a monthly giving society dedicated to protecting the future of Bluecoats. Donors give monthly and support Bluecoats programs, and as a thank you, they receive insider access to content and special events. To become a sustaining member, visit bluecoats.com slash the shield. All right, so now let's talk about a little bit more on the staff side of things. Uh, do you have any any memories that stand out as a staff member from finals week over the years that you've been teaching? Derek? You want me to go first? Okay. All right. Just think, well, I'll, I'll, tell a, I'll tell a tame one first, and then I'm going to tell one after this that I was like, I don't know if I'm going to say it. I'm going to say it because sometimes these podcasts get a bit boring, you know. Got to spice it up. <laughs> I'm not necessarily Bob's pot, podcast. I'm just talking about any of these marching arts ones. So, 03, and Josh, remember this? It was like we need to start the show with this warm up, this off the on the field, moving around warm up, and we're playing our favorite things, and we're out of drum majors. And so Gordon Henderson and some others had the bright idea that I was going to start basically start the show. I conducted uh, the backfield for our favorite things. And it was, that was the name of the show, but it was my favorite things. Da, 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 da. I remember I kind of actually panicked final day. I'll be honest. And by, Tom Unks, I've never apologized to him personally. I, I, I'm here now if he's listening. Uh, cause he's like, it started slow. And he was right. Probably. Cause I kind of, I used to always listen to the metronome and I couldn't focus. It's freaking hard. I mean, just to, be a drum major but not really for like i, I used to like plant i couldn't have any time off the tour unless we weren't, didn't have any shows it was crazy anyway and i remember come starting the show and walking around the stadium where was finals that year in 03 orlando it was yeah it was Orlando. so i'm walking around and uh tony de carlo stops me i was gonna go with the staff he's like no the show started you can't go in there I can't, it's fine. Like, so I, I didn't get to watch the core in 03. I was like watching it from the concourse on the TV. So <laughs> that was a little bit, whatever. <laughs> yeah. All right. So this next one, this was the one that's like, do I really want to be this self-incriminating? Eh, why not? Um, so 05, right? 05 was my first year, uh, as the brass caption head at uh, uh, Capitol Regiment. And uh, we worked hard to make finals. Uh, we did it. We came in 15th. The horn line came in 13th in quarters and semis. I was proud of that. We almost, the trumpets would have hit the, the, the triple tonguing. I think we had a shot at beating the glassman and coming in 12th. But lo and behold, we, the trumpets kind of blew the triple tonguing. And that was the first time. Uh, Oh, I can't remember the guy's name. Carl something. Uh, Carl Bly was on the field, prelims, and he was all positive. And he goes, "Ah, oh, 
and it was negative from the rest of it. You know how that goes. Anyway, so we didn't make finals. So finals day, it was kind of like back in the, the old A class days. It was a day off, and I uh, convinced uh, Jeff Harper to let me use his, like, special judging badge to get in, like, the f- sweet box. And uh, it was somewhere around, like, 11th, 10th place. My girlfriend and I, we just started slamming beers. I mean, you can hear me on the... You can hear me on the, some recordings, just especially by the time the cadets came on. I was pretty good going. And my sister was aging out of the cadets, Jennifer. Uh, she uh, was marching, and I was going nuts, and you could kind of hear me on there. And, of course, the cadets won in 05, and I was super excited. And I come running down there, and I didn't tell my girlfriend where I was going. And she she was had been drinking a while too, and she was absolutely livid when she found me, and I wasn't happy either. And I got pretty belligerent. Now I didn't physically harm anybody. I need to put that out there, but for whatever reason, law enforcement felt it necessary to escort me out of the stadium. So luckily, like by this time, like I'd run down after the, the victory run to give my sister a big hug and everything. And luckily, they all of the cadets who I had just finished teaching, they had all turned around to sing the core song one more time. So the only person I think saw me get kicked out was actually Christine Higgins. And I wonder if she actually remembers that. Yeah, that was. So the positive of that story is about a year later was the last time I took a drink. I've been sober for that long, you know, it was part of the, that was one of those stories. If you get kicked out of a marching band competition, you know, (laughs) not really a good sign that alcohol is working for you. (laughs) So, um, yeah, that's, that's one. And I'll, I'll take a break and and let Josh go. Maybe I'll talk about some blue coats finals weeks. (laughs) Yeah. I was, I was thinking a little bit about this and, um, you know, like as, for me at the time that I was Indian marching and then starting to be on staff because I aged out in 05, um, you know, in 2004 was the first year that electronics were sort of allowed in mass, you know, there's, there's an organized rule around this and it was really cadets and blue devils who were sort of like taking the lead on this. I think there was maybe even those two cores who had proposed it. Um, but uh, because I have a background in, sound production and things like that. I remember in 04 sort of helping, like I was like, I would leave some rehearsal and go help the pit, like learn how to mic a marimba and then I'd go back to rehearsal. You know, so electronics were sort of new for everybody back then. And of course, like the Blue Devils have sort of been been at the forefront, I think, of a lot of the sound design for a lot of years. Um, and of course, there's a lot of great players in the game now, but um, I'll never forget in 2006, which is my first year teaching, um, you know, and this is, this is at the beginning, you know, still new electronics are new for everybody. Some people are testing around, you know, testing out wireless. Some people are like only doing hardwired stuff. And because wireless was also so new, there were like not all of these stipulations that there are now about like certain frequencies that you can and can't be on. And so you never knew what might come through your wireless sound system. And so what became protocol was like you would, you know, and I remember DCI even like allowing people like go and set up your sound system like in the tunnel, you know, and then do like a quick scan to make sure that your your wireless frequencies are are cool. You know, and you just have to sit there if you're the sound guy with the headphones on and 
like just sort of scan it and make sure that nothing's happening for a couple minutes. And then you would just sort of cross your fingers and hope that between then and the time that the core came on the field that no one else jumped on that frequency. And I remember in 2006, you know, I was helping, uh, I was working with both cadets and crossmen that year. And I remember going up there with the cadets sound system and we crank, turn on the wireless real quick. Cause we, we used wireless for the, the ballad singer in that show. And as soon as we turned that on, we hadn't plugged in headphones yet, but we had all the speakers turned on, which we learned the year after don't test with speakers, which of course makes sense, but loud and clear as if the guy was standing right next to us, we hear somebody essentially like requesting his order for, yeah, I'll have a milkshake and uh, let me get some fries. fries." And it's like coming out of this massive sound system, you know, while whoever's on the field, you know, and like we can't, like there's nothing that we could do because it wasn't our, you know, like we, we weren't sending that sound out of these speakers. And so we're freaking out at, you know, whoever's on the field and Tony DiCarlo, of course, is like, you know, he's losing his mind at the, the edge of the, tunnel and we just couldn't figure out how to shut this thing off and this guy's like yeah let me get some strawberry milkshake no no hey jimmy you want you want chocolate you know it's like i don't know who what this guy was ordering where he was ordering from but that's coming out of the cadets sound system um and uh so yeah we stopped uh testing with speakers after that Uh, (laughs) but um yeah i remember the electronics being a a really a hairy endeavor for, for lots of cores and, you know, same, same thing in 07. Now we had this sorted out by finals, but you know, we had so many performers on wireless mics, like the narrators on the field. Um, and, you know, we started the show, we came on in the, the classic cadets block and uh, there would be times where somebody didn't change out their batteries or whatever. And so like myself or somebody else would have to run out onto the field, you know, in in the, at the start of the show and we'd have to like sort of squeeze our way through the, the core to like, Hey, Albert, come over here or, or Ashton, come over here. We need to like put new batteries in your pack. And like the, the core is also starting. So electronics was, um, there was, there was always stories surrounding electronics at the, at the beginning of my tenure as a teacher. Yeah. Yeah. I don't have, I mean, the majority of my stories I think are are more from sort of the beginning of, the cream years of crown, you know, just in Oh three, being a part of that, you know, getting the core from, I guess they were 16th in Oh two before we came in and started over with that new staff and making finals, getting the core all the way up to 10th was, was just, it was just a lot of fun because I had never been a part of a core that was trying to make finals, you know, cause it was never like that at cadets. And so that was pretty neat. Um, Oh six, uh, for whatever reason, that was the in transit show at Crown. 06 was the year that that we got what we called the the Madison Scouts treatment at finals when they announced us. I think I think we were eighth, maybe something like that. But I think it was Blue Knights pulled ahead of us on finals night, and as soon as they announced us, the crowd just started booing. And the video's on YouTube somewhere, and. You know, so they booed for like 20 seconds, then it kind of peters off. And then, you know, like the roar of the crowd uh, came back after that. And um, that was that was pretty cool. And they were still cheering for us whenever they announced the next core. And that was that was just a neat experience because it finally seemed like all the, the past few years of trying to build that core was starting to pay off, even though we were surprised that was the show 
Whereas 07 next year, the horsey show was just, you know, everybody kind of loved that. So that was a lot of fun. 2010 finals at crown was, was, was a rough night. You know, the, the image of Ryan, the Melphone players leg bending in ways that it's not supposed to bend. That was a memorable experience and watching Jim Coates carry him off the field during the middle or in the middle of the closer was, was neat. Um, 11, the, uh, crowd starting the, the, we will rock you, uh, stomp, stomp, clap, you know, just as we're even coming on the field was, was pretty sweet. Yeah. I mean, there's other, other finals week things. The, you know, the 15 minute brass warm up in 08, Derek, that was neat or something. I was already teaching middle school. Remember, I didn't make, I didn't make finals. Yeah, you, yeah, you didn't miss much. We dropped finals night. We dropped the spot. I, I know for the blue coats. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, and then last year was just it was just a lot of fun. I mean, there was just so much energy uh, from the crowd last year in nineteen with blue coats. It was just it was a lot of fun. You got any uh, any fun blue coat stories over the past few years, Derek? Let's see. I, I don't know about stories really. Uh, it's more just you know, experiences, you know, through the years, you know, 12 was tough because I was the co-caption head and trying to navigate that is, is always tough. And uh, we, we did it. Uh, And then of course the next year I was, I was the, the caption head. So that was, that was fun. That felt like kind of the first year for me. 12 was kind of like fitting in the vibe and figuring things out. Um, And 13, was both 13 and 14. We passed people up at the very last minute and we beat, you know, 14 is at the very last minute and 13 where we were chasing fan emergement the whole year. And I think we beat them in uh, Buffalo. Right. And then uh, we didn't see them in Maslin. I don't think. And then prelims, they beat us. And then I think uh, semis, we tied and we lost the draw. So we went on, before them, and then we beat them by a tenth finals, and that felt like the biggest thing in the world. And um, yeah, no, it actually was pretty cool. And I think that that show is underrated. I think it had some design things, uh, perhaps like it felt a lot of it felt kind of transitional, and some of the things didn't quite work. But that core played pretty well. It was pretty musical, and the show was very difficult and. I know so many people that have marched a bunch of years, like 13, 14, 15, or have marched 13 and went all the way to 16. And they all say 13 was the hardest. Uh, so that was that was fun. And then 14, uh, 14 was crazy because we we came out like right behind Carolina Crown, and then we passed Crown. And Crown was, you know, they were the defending champion in 14. And then we go to Texas and get beat by everybody. We ended up like fifth in San Antonio, I think. We're fifth and right after San Antonio in, in Rice State, not Rice, but the Houston show. And we're like, what, hap- what happened? I went to Dave Glasgow and said, well, it's good while it lasted. You know, and the thing about 14, it was pretty obvious from the beginning, Blue Devils were going to win. So it was like a battle for, sec- for second. And we thought we had a shot, you know, or at least for third because cadets were also really good early on that year. So it was like, and, and then third, fourth, and fifth was like Crown, Santa Clara, Bluecoats. And Texas, we were below Santa Clara, 
bloke, you know, it was like fifth, sweet, fifth again. Awesome. We thought we had a shot at meddling and stayed like that. We're three, four, and five, three, four, and five, kept switching the rest of the season. And I was like, okay, we can just get to third. That'd be awesome. And quarters, we, I think we barely beat Vanguard and came in third. It's like awesome because the panel wasn't very good. We knew we, if, if we weren't going to medal one night, it would be quarters that year. And then semis, we were like two tenths behind cadets. And I remember telling people, it was like, we, we have a shot to come in second. And, um, and this was, you know, the core had only medaled once in 2010, you know, uh, in 11, it was seventh, 12 was sixth, 13 was fifth. I mean, it was like a history of kind of the Cavaliers used to have a joke that, um, and for a long time, Cavies never came in six. They came in every other place. And it was an old trivia question that they used to tell the rookies what's the <laughs> one placement that the Cavies have never come in. And the answer is sixth. And then they would tell the, the rookies or whatever this little trivia question because six is re- reserved for the blue coats. That was like <laughs> a joke in like 06, 07, 08, 09, 10, 12, all those kind of years. So that we, were, we were still kind of that, that guy in a way, holding down sixth place, fighting for fifth. And to come in second was a really, really big deal. And the show was very emotional. It was super cool, the tilt thing. It's it's a very simple concept uh, with moving the field and having the scaling triangles. And the, the, the music was super cool. It was definitely like a music first kind of show uh, where the music guided the, the visual. So that, that, was, that was pretty special. You know, I talked about 16 already a little bit. You know, 16, we won in two and a half weeks before finals. And then we never lost again. And... And when we did lose, it was kind of barely in Texas. We only lost like three or four shows that year. It was pretty successful. But every night, if we saw Blue Devils or Carolina Crown, we beat them by less than five tenths. It was like, I hope we two tenth crown tonight again. <laughs> and it was super scary. And to have that, you, you almost wanted to get beat so you can get over with and be the underdog again. But when you're always the favorite, barely, and then barely beat people, it's, and I'm, I'm, this is the way I talk. I know it's maybe overly competitive, but this is what happens in people's heads, let's be honest, right? You know, it's like when you, when you, when you barely beat people consistently, it gets, it tries on you because you, you're looking at recaps and it's like, oh. And I can remember um, we we had a pretty good touring line that year. We 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 won brass at a few shows. Had had all the big hitters there. Um, Ronnie Rios really liked us. He put us up in quarters. But a couple shows before, I think it was Buffalo. I can't remember who it was. Put us fourth in brass, and we still won the show. But it was like, well, that's that's a bummer. Then the very next show in Maslin, the drums were good that year too. The drum judge put the drums forth and we, and then we won, we won the show by two tenths. And, um, and then semis, semis that year, we had another, we had a blue coats had a series of, of electronics issues finals week. And we had one in semis where nothing worked. I think nothing worked in uh, semis. And, um, and we were pretty flat and it was, 
the kids the kids did their job. I remember Donnie came off the field and was like, we asked them to do their job, and they did. They should be commended for that. Uh, but the show just felt flat and weird because there was I don't think there was any amplification of front ensemble or anything. So a lot of the places that had some enhancement were dead. Um, and uh, and we still won the show. And I remember being really nervous finals. And Donnie's one took me aside and said, Derek, look, a couple nights ago, you came in fourth in brass and you won the show. Then the next night, the drums came in fourth and you won the show. Last night, the electronics didn't work at all and you won the show. So relax. And it was, it kind of helped me a bit. And we just had a good, you know, we went out and did our thing. And, and uh, you know, to be a part of the first championship was pretty cool. And, and the victory run was awesome. And to be on the field and, kind of watching the staff and the kids not really change anything and continue to work really hard uh, was, was, was pretty special. I thought 18 finals performance was really, really special. Like it, it just went up another notch on the night. Like I said, I don't have any funny stories like from my other segments, but that's, that's been my, you know, the thing for me, like finals week is so nerve wracking, especially as, caption of a really successful horn line you know you want to do everything you can to to make some somebody who's already great prepared to be even better it, it's you know i've i've had a a nice finals week just spending time with my nine-month-old daughter in the paddling pool and grilling in some ways it's been nice because I, I don't I don't sleep much, I don't eat. It's it's tough. It's tough. So the, I don't have the funny stories that I'd have in the earlier parts of my career because I'm I'm too kind of focused, if I'm honest. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well we uh we've got a few questions this week from some of our fans on the Bluegrass Insta page. And let me see, I'll just kinda I'll pick a few of these. Here's an easy one. This is from Michael underscore HD 15 asked, uh, did the 2016 core triple tongue the opener or was it just single tonguing really fast? That was single tongue fast. And there were some kids that wanted to multiple tongue it. I mean, we would have probably tried to double tongue it, not triple tongue if we wanted to multiple tongue it. But I was pretty insistent that the right style it would be too tutty if we tried to multiple tongue it, and it would be hard in a different way. But the person who asked that is pretty perceptive that it's it's hard either way. I mean, it was somewhere around. I mean, that's pretty quick, and then to add the style in that, and um, you know, I learned a lot that year on how to clean some things from Ryan Kilgore, really, and we would put it on different we put it on the you know we put it on the quarter note and we also put it on the dotted quarter note uh, i can't figure it out now i can't you know edit that part out or not whatever but um it you know that was that was a tough one that was a lot of individual time and working with kids on speeding up their single tone to get that to work yeah uh, here's another one. This is uh, whoever ended up getting the Instagram handle after the Bluecoats finally switched to just Bluecoats. So this is from Canton underscore Bluecoats, which is not the Bluecoats anymore, asked, what's it like after finals week, like after everything all summer when there's nothing left? And, you know, I'll I'll, I'll throw in my little uh, answer in there. And, 
you know, specifically coming from um, after 98 for me was, you know, it was so nice to finally win on Saturday night. And then Monday morning, I'm in college marching band, you know, summer band camp kind of thing, getting ready to start school where nobody really cares about drum corps. The idea of quality doesn't really exist in anyone's mind other than maybe the drum majors and the band directors. And then, so that, that was where it sort of made me realize that winning DCI really isn't that important because, you know, 48 hours later, I'm just kind of miserable in the middle of college marching band. I was like, all right, well, that's cool. But in the real world, it doesn't really mean that much. It's more about all the experiences and relationships and things like that. So that's, that's my answer on that question. And either of you got anything specific you want to add on that? Yeah, yeah, I think, you know, I mean, because uh, I've been on, on both sides of it, you know, winning as a performer, winning as a, a teacher, and not winning as a performer, not winning as a teacher. And I think that, you know, when you come off the field after finals, to me, that's when it all makes sense, you know, because then you realize, unless you won, like, there's no more of that. You know, like, you're you're never going to play any of those notes again, at least with those people, you know, in that uniform. Um, so I think that there's the reality sinks in so quickly, um, you know, right after you come off the field, which is, I think, you know, certainly one of, one of the reasons why, you know, that's, that's the moment where, you know, everybody sort of breaks down, you know, and I think that that's, there's, there's such a, it's such a refreshing thing because you could come in second or you could come in 14th. Like it doesn't matter necessarily. Like you, you just, you are now able to exhale in a different way. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, that's sort of one of the, um, the ways that sort of humanizes you, I think is, is when you come off the field and you hug each other and whatever embrace for that last time in that, in that setting, you know, to me, then things, that's when things shift, not necessarily the next morning, you know, cause the next morning, like, you know, you could, you know, you hug everybody and then you could just depart, <laughs> you jump yeah. in your mom's car and you leave or whatever it is, you know? So, um, so that's, to me, it's, it starts after that last, you know, the last huddle up and, um, and, and you're right, Bob, like you realize that the rest of the world who doesn't care about what you just did, they don't care about what you just did. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're like you're in good shape and you're really tan. Yeah, you, know, you have a pretty gnarly sock tan, so you've got some good stories, but aside from that, like, you know, the world the world has moved on. Yeah. Derek, you uh you alluded to this one a little bit earlier. Spencer 8 Barry said, "What's the most stressful part of finals night?" Well, it's it's kind of connected to what I was going to say about the previous question. This is what we do in drum corps when the last show is done. I'm try- I was trying to think of what else is more fleeting in the performing arts. I don't know if there's anything else because, you know, if you're, you know, if you're lucky enough to become a professional orchestra trumpet player and you play Mahler five with a group, you're probably going to play Mahler five again. It'll be with a different group, but you'll play those notes again and it'll be the exact same notes in drum corps. You, when they make the recording, on finals or whatever, that's it. You don't get another go. Uh, and that performance never exists again. I mean, some of the old performances I've seen, I'd love to see again. It's never going to happen. You know, I'd love to go back and watch Santa Clara 89, which was one of my first open class scores I've ever seen. And uh, I'll... I remember you on the bus just yelling, 87 Vanguard. Yeah, 87 Vanguard was awesome. Come on. 
Um, <laughs> anyway, um, so you know that that sense of finality and the importance of the moment is overwhelming emotionally. You know, and and you have to balance that with being a good teacher. You can't run around like a crazy person, yelling at every kid for every little tick that will destroy them. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, you have to continue with the same process. You know, and I'm also a bit of a I'm definitely a perfectionist. I, I have a tough time listening to recordings that of groups that I've taught because I still hear the stuff, and I'm like, er, er, you know, my wife will make fun of me. It's like you can't fix it anymore. Stop making those faces. You know. And uh, so, yeah, that's the hardest part is just kind of knowing the finality of the moment and trying to make yourself not be too overwhelmed emotionally and not change your approach as a teacher or as a performer. And I think the performers have a tough time with that as well. Yeah, the the idea that nothing changes is, is super important. I always talked about that with uh, my kids as a high school director. A um, couple more of these, some pretty easy answers here. Uh, Carter Horrocks asks or says, I would like to join, but I'm uh, from far away. Is that weird? And simple answer to that is no, we've got kids from all over the world. It's, you know, we've got kids from the U S we've got kids from Europe. We've got kids from Japan, just all over the place. So come on out. Let's see. Here, here's one. Maybe one of you can answer this uh, is Hannah Baum says, do you ever make any big changes to the show right before finals? I know groups have have that have. I don't think I've been a part of groups like right before finals. I mean, Ninety eight was kind of close. It was about a week and a half left, or yeah, we had about a week and a half before we put that in. But that's... Left, we put in the new ending finals week. I know groups. I know Phantom did it one year, and they changed their closer on the last on finals. Uh, Santa Clara in eighty nine did different little tricks at the end. Cadets in 91 changed the end of the ballot where the, the guy gets the lover at the, uh, gets the girl at the end before he doesn't. Anyway, yeah. there's a bunch of other little, but Josh, you ever, I, I don't, I don't, I don't think that I've been a part of, uh, like Derek was saying, I'm not sure if I've been a part of them. You of course hear about like, Oh, they're putting in their special thing, you know, but um, I want to say that, Derek, you might remember there might there might have been something in 03 as related to the pre-show just because we were like, you know, we were like right on the, the limit. You know, it's like we'd come off the field every night, you know, because we had we had a full minute long pre-show, which is what we were allowed to do. But then also the, the show at proper was also like at capacity. So I yeah. want to say like it was like, all right, let's get let's crank it up like one more click, you know, just to like make sure that we're a little safe. Yeah. I feel like that was maybe something. It might have been something like that. But you know what that reminds me though, I, I take it back in 2012 Blue Coats, we added two counts to a hold where we release a note and we used to go right into a turn to the back. And we released a note and added it was very scary slash dumb. Um, because the first time we ever did it was quarterfinals. And it's one of those simple things. And, I, and I'm sure if you're a performer, you get this. If you're not a just a fan, it may sound simple. But if you've done bah, release, turn, 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 step off for a bunch of shows, and then all of a sudden at the end of the year, you go bah, release, turn, turn. That is... And people would, I think someone did miss it semis. I think it was on the video. I, was like, I don't think anybody missed it finals, 
but it's just one. Of, it's one of those where the judge was like, "You're not giving the audience." And the judge was right. Otherwise, if the judge wasn't right, we wouldn't have done it. But the, there's a judge that said, "You're not giving the audience a chance to clap and take you in. You're moving away right away." And it was like, "Yeah, that makes sense. Let's let's change it." And uh, it was I tell you when you're more nervous about a two count turn than anything else in the show. It's a little funny. <laughs> yeah. And I guess uh, there's a couple other here's, but I think we'll we'll wrap it up with uh, uh, Diz Dog Junior thirty four wants to know what was your show going to be this year, and uh, you know I can honestly say Derek, you may have an answer, but I can honestly say I have no idea because we were never told, and so I, I know I guess that the simple answer is it it sort of ended up turning into uh, John Cage's four thirty three. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, and if anybody has seen uh, photos of the brass jerseys we had made for the the staff and kids this year, is we have the the shield with a uh, mute icon in the middle of it to uh, I, I guess to show that maybe that is our show for twenty twenty is a little John Cage action. Yeah, you know it's, it's funny. Like um, I think like in like I said in two thousand thirteen, my first year as a caption head. You know, we kind of got the what we're playing, what the show's going to be. And I'm like, I start kind of like blowing up Dave Glasgow. Like what, this doesn't make sense. Like being very questioning of the designers and the design process. And, and over the years, it was like, they'll tell me what we're doing when I need to know it. You know, over the years, I got more and more trust of John Vanderkoff and Jim Moore and, and Duck Thrower and Tom Rarick. And especially early on when John came in, he was such a new and important voice to the creative team he really if if you want to know where the the recent uh a big source of where the recent uh, uh progress has been in the blue coats a lot of it is johnny v and um but it took me a while to kind of trust that process and i mean the past four years i just people would ask me in april and may and it's and they, what are we doing i don't know and that was the truth i don't i mean i would know the source material some of it you know uh, but I wouldn't know what the concept was, what the costume looked like, what what the props were going to be, or or any of that. You know, I had enough. Um, I just stayed in my lane. It's like I have enough on my plate with a couple bits of source material, and I'm going to figure out how to make this in tune and together and everything. And that was it. Um, and it's so funny. People wouldn't believe me when I say I don't know. No, dude, seriously, I, I don't know what we're doing. <laughs> You know, and this, not until spring training sometimes would I kind of know the concept. So yeah. to answer your question, I, I, I'm with Bob. I have no idea. I, I know what one of the tunes or a couple of the tunes were going to be. Uh, and I, I really can't say that because it has to do with rights. You have to you have to pay the folks money first. And it's something like, isn't it something like where you can only know and perform that from a certain time? Otherwise, you got to pay more money or something. I don't know. I got no idea. Yeah. (laughs) Well, thank you both for uh, joining us on the uh, podcast today, and that'll wrap it up for another episode. Uh, We've also wrapped up all of our summer 2020 bonus episodes, so we hope that uh, you all have enjoyed getting to hear some of the -the behind-the-scenes footage with all of those brass tapes uh, from the past few years. And so now we're looking ahead to 2021, hoping we're able to uh, get back on the field for you all. So wear a mask. So there's a better chance of uh, all this stuff going away and then we can get back out there. So 
Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes of the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Blue Coats Brass Podcast. Please tell your friends about our podcast and don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. If you have any topics you'd like to suggest or questions for us to answer in future episodes, please email us at brasspodcast at bluecoats.com. You can catch us on Instagram at bluecoats or at bluebrass, spelled B-L-O-O brass. You can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at the handle bluecoats. To learn more about the Bluecoats organization and all of its offerings, visit us on the web at bluecoats.com. Our podcast is made possible in part from the support of Hammond Design, the official mouthpiece designer and manufacturer of the Bluecoats Drum and Bugle Corps. As a performance partner of the Bluecoats, we trust HD with our sound, and we think you should too. Learn more at carlhammonddesign.com to get started. That's Carl with a K, HammondDesign.com.